welcome to the Good Intent, Good Impact podcast, where we continue this season discourse on critical race theory in the United States. And in this episode, I want to take a moment to talk about some of the common criticism I hear from the anti-CRT folks, particularly some of the name calling I hear. Um, and if you've been in council meetings at your local school council or looked at different things on television, you've probably heard things say like, CRT is Marxist and this is communist and all that kind of stuff. And so I want to take a, a couple minutes to talk about that because I think that's really important. And I think it's a key part of the strategy that people who are anti-CRT are using in order to try to silence you to stop people from being able to move forward and trying to push cultural competency, um, particularly in the K through 12 space. So if you watch the YouTube video released by Chris Rufo in June of 2021, he talks about what he calls the origins of critical race theory. And the video is broken up into several different sections, and this one is pretty early on in the video. But he spends several minutes talking about Marxism. And he talks about how the Marxist scholars of the mid-20th century calling themselves critical theorists, and he's kind of lumping everybody in together here. Not just like critical race theory, but like what they think of as critical race theory. So someone doing critical gender studies, for example, to these people are quote-unquote critical theorists. Um, but anyway, he goes on to talk about how those critical theorists have replaced concepts of the struggle between the pro proletariat and the bourgeoisie with the racial dialectic of white and black. Um, and so for those who may not you know, be familiar with some of that terminology, proletariat and bourgeoisie is basically just like an unnecessarily fancy way of saying those who are poor and those who are, are rich, essentially. Um, but essentially, Chris Rufford talks about how CRT, anti-racism, education, diversity and inclusion, all this stuff is basically rooted in Marxism. Now, if you listen to that section of the of the YouTube video, he uses the form of the word radical multiple times in a very short time span. And what I think is really important to understand is that this is intentional. And we've seen this before when there have been substantive pushes for equity, um, particularly racial equity in the United States. Um, as I said, some of the loudest opponents of CRT run around calling people radicals, Marxist, all kinds of stuff. And from what I can tell, this is done in order to try to silence you because nobody wants to be associated with things like Marxism, communism, socialism, all that kind of stuff because of the histories of certain countries who had those systems, who had really, really, really bad dictators and really, really, really bad outcomes. Um, so to give you a tangible example how this has been used in the past, when the civil rights movement was really gaining steam and Martin Luther King Jr. was really doing his thing in the mid 19 in the mid 1960s, J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI at the time, thought that the civil rights movement, as well as King himself, were susceptible to communist influence. And so he was able to um, get the green light, essentially, to wiretap Martin Luther King Jr to try to catch him in some sort of illicit communist style activity. Um, which is essentially was his his plan for trying to figure out how to completely squash what King, as well as other activists in the civil rights struggle, was trying to do um, and trying to achieve racial equity for black and brown people. Um, and so when you hear someone who opposes CRT or any theoretical framework that utilizes privilege and oppression as a core part of understanding how higher society has worked over time and how the cumulative effects of that still affect black and brown people today, they will say that the ideas are Marxist. They will call you a Marxist communist and all that type of stuff, again, to try to scare you into silence. 
Um, and so in order to combat this stuff, in order to be prepared for this stuff, that's number one. You got to make sure you're prepared for that for that attack, because if you're not, it's going to catch you off guard and knock you off your game if you're not really ready for it. Now, with that being said, if this does happen to you and someone pulls up the whole Marxism, communism stuff, what I wouldn't do is get into a philosophical argument with these people about what Marxism or communism is, because frankly, it tends to be overly academic and unproductive. Like you'll be in this philosophical merry-go-round, like just for, for a long time with this. So I do not recommend trying to take that approach. But what I will say is that you should lean into being open and honest about the fact that the talking points that many of us use to do equity work, whether we're talking things like race as a social construct, or we're talking about the dichotomy of privilege and oppression, or the impact of microaggressions, for example, is in fact a philosophical lens in which we've chosen to view the world. Now, those of us who have advanced degrees, those of us who stay in academia a lot, frankly are used to our ideas being challenged on the merits and the substance, right? That's what academics do. There's challenges all the time <laughs> to the way we think, the frameworks we come up with, how we apply the different frameworks in different settings and situations. We're used to rigor. Academic rigor is, is part of what makes people in academia so proud. It's because they've been able to stand up to the rigor of their colleagues and poking holes at where they may have missed certain things. Like th this is not, you know, for the faint of heart, you know, for people who are doing this kind of work, particularly in academia, where a lot of these discussions happen. And in that same vein, like if this happens to you, you know, at a school board meeting, I would not run away from the challenge of the theoretical frameworks being pushed back upon. I wouldn't. I've, for me, I welcome it. <laughs> like, you are more than you are more than welcome to challenge me on what you think is critical race theory, which really isn't, right? We've talked about that's really anti-racism education, but you're welcome to challenge me on concept, concepts of privilege and oppression. Absolutely, go right ahead. I'm not worried about those criticisms. Why, you might ask? Because there's one thing I know that's infallible that I have on my side, and it's history. History is non-negotiable. Now, you can go back and forth about why certain people made certain decisions that they made and how certain factors around them may have played into their decisions that they made, but whatever happened, happened, right? Like you can't undo what happened or what didn't happen, it didn't happen, right? Like that is not negotiable. And in the case of racism in the United States and everything that people who have been historically marginalized because of race have been through, frankly, the history is on our side. So for example, when a social studies teacher wants to talk about Juneteenth, say they wanna do a lesson plan about Juneteenth. The first question is, well, is that going to be opposed? Like, is that CRT? Like, is that something you don't wanna talk about? Is that off the table now? Like, are we just not even gonna talk about it? Right, that's my number one question. Number two, if we can get past that hurdle, what exactly do the anti-CRF folks want the lesson to say? So we're here talking about Juneteenth. What, what do you want it to say? How do you propose to talk about Juneteenth without talking about slavery? How do you plan to talk about slavery without talking about the transatlantic slave trade and how that worked? Like, how do you plan to do that? Now, some of them might talk about things like indentured servitude, and that's fine, but indentured servitude was not the same thing as chattel slavery. By the way, both are extremely problematic, okay? I'm gonna be very clear about that. Indentured servitude was also not okay, but they are not exactly the same. 
How do you plan to honestly discuss what happened without talking about the fact, okay, that predominantly white males enslaved peoples of African descent for centuries on this land and used their skin color as justification for doing so? If you're being honest with yourself, clearly you cannot do that. Like that's impossible to explain Juneteenth without explaining all of those things. Now, some people are slick and they'll try to be like, well, these weren't enslaved people, they were immigrants, right? And it's like, hold on, hold the phone, wait a minute, okay? Generally speaking, immigrants choose to come here because they're seeking a better life for themselves. The people who were put on slave ships had no agency in the decision to get on that ship and come to the Americas, okay? So those folks were not immigrants. Sometimes they'll try to play that labeling game to try to get around certain things in that way and it's important that we challenge them on that kind of stuff because that is not an honest telling of American history. And if we do that honest telling and we tell the facts as they are and what happened and why they happened and explain the circumstances around those facts, there is no way in hell you can talk about Juneteenth without talking about privilege and oppression because it's fundamental to the story, period. Like there's just no way around it. So as you're thinking about how you're going to engage with these folks, how you're going to challenge these folks, this is definitely a piece that, again, I wanted to spend some time talking about it because I want you to be aware of, of that attack coming because trust me, it's coming and I don't want you to be caught off guard and I don't want you to be unprepared. For the last two episodes of the podcast, I'm going to take a deeper dive into the dichotomy of equity and equality, because I do think this is another talking point that the anti-CRT folks are going to try to wield against you um, as you're doing this work. And so I think we need to take some time to explore that, what it means, what it doesn't mean, how it applies and how it doesn't as it relates to trying to advance racial equity just in general, not at the, just the K through 12 level, but just in general. Um, and then the last episode, I wanna talk about the power of choice um, and how that has a lot to do with the conundrum that we find ourselves in and some of the choices that you as the listener can make um, to make a difference within your community. If you are enjoying this podcast or you know other folks who are doing the work of anti-racism in their own spheres, please make sure you share this podcast with other folks um, and encourage them to give it a listen. Um, I, Like I said, I want to make sure that I'm doing my part um, to help people be as prepared as possible, especially with the 2022 midterms coming up, where I have a hunch based on what we've seen in the last several months that CRT is going to take center stage. Um, and there's a lot of states where I think this will be essentially on the ballot as a referendum, if you will, and candidates will be running um, based on this and trying to fearmonger people into thinking that CRT is the devil. Um, and so if you know folks who this may be of service to, definitely let them know to take a listen. And as always, thank you for listening.